Amen, amen. Uh, let me just get into the Word of God this morning. Second Kings 3. I just promoted somebody into 2 Kings 3. It has been an honor to be at Arkansas camp. You guys are awesome. I truly, truly believe you guys are the greatest generation that has ever dawned the face of this earth. God is getting ready to unleash some awesome things, and I believe it could start right here in the Arkansas district. Amen? You could be a catalyst for what goes on in the rest of the world. I truly believe that. And one last time, it's an honor to have my wife and my son Isaac in the house, and who I am well pleased in, he's in the house. You guys get me in small doses, but they have to put up with me all the time, so I am so thankful that they're here. It is a full-time job to do that. Second Kings 3, we're going to go 5 through 15, and then we're going to jump down and read verse 24. Second Kings 3, 5 through 15, and then we're going to jump down and read verse 24. The Bible says this in verse 5, but it came to pass. Everybody say afterward. Mm. It came to pass when Ahab was dead that King Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And the king Jehoram went out to Samaria at the same time and numbered all of Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, everybody say Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Will thou go with me against Moab to battle. Jehoram is going into the fight of his life. And the Bible says that he calls for Jehoshaphat. He says, will you, the king over Judah, would you come and go with me unto battle? And the Bible says, and he said, I will go up and I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, which way shall we go up? And he say, answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. And there was no water for a host, for the host, and for the cattle that follow them. Verse 10, the Bible says this, And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat, Mind you, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servant answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water out on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? The man of God literally looks at the king and says, what do I have to do with thee? He said, get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, and the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. If I didn't regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look toward thee, nor see thee. But now bring me 
a minstrel. He literally says, bring me a musician. And it came to pass that when the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon them. When they called for the music to come, the Bible says in verse 15 that the hand of the Lord came upon them. And verse 24 says, and when they came to the camp, when they came to the camp, 2018 camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. But they went forward smiting the Moabites even in their country. Just for a short while, and I promise I'm not going to be long, I know you're weary and worn, and this is the last session, last morning session of 2018 Youth Camp, but just for a short while, I'm going to preach, teach on this subject, on this thought. Never bring a knife to a gunfight. Never bring a knife to a gunfight. Would you do me the honors and put down your Bible and throw your hands up in the air with every eye closed and let's just ask God to have his way in this house. Can we do that? Jesus, whatever it is that you want to do in this house, as we prayed before, so we pray again, God, even if it goes outside of our comfort zones. God, I pray right now. I surrender our will. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God, whatever it is that you want to do in this house, even if I've never done it before, even if I've never stepped out before, God, I pray, God, that you have your way, God. Anoint every ear, every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. All over this place, let's give God just an awesome hand clap. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Never bring a knife to a gunfight. How many of y'all have ever heard of this saying before? Never bring a knife to a gunfight. I've heard this over and over again, but it wasn't, it wasn't so real to me as it was that one summer uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. See, prior to living or moving to Missouri, I lived in Alabama. Is there anybody in here that ever lived in Alabama? I got one. Too, for the Isaacsons in the back, just a really good friend of mine. I lived in actually just outside of Birmingham, uh, Alabama, and I was a bivocational youth pastor. If you don't know what that is, is I was a youth pastor full time, but if I wanted to put food on the table, I also had to work full time. So when I moved there, I'll never forget, and the church was just an awesome church, awesome people. God really blessed us while we were there. But if I wanted to put food on the table, I had to go find a job. So I went out and I started filling out applications there just outside of Birmingham. It was probably Brother Isaacson, three, four exits outside of Metro uh, Birmingham. So I went out filling out applications. I went and looked at the want ads. How many of y'all have ever filled out some applications before? That's a daunting process, right? So I filled out all these applications. I got my resume together. And I went to the local, believe it or not, the local police department was hiring dispatchers. I was thinking, man, how cool is that? I can look at a screen, right, and sit in a chair and talk on the phone and get paid for it. Sweet, that is lit. I'm in. I got my resume together. I put it all pretty and, and nice. And I went into the police department and I turned it in. And right there on the spot, the chief of police read over 
my, uh, my application. And he said, son, I, I want to bring you into my office. I want to talk to you. And I said, man, this, this is great. So I went into his office, and he said, you know, I've been reviewing your application here. And I'll just be honest, I got a question I need to ask you. Why in the world do you want to be a dispatcher? And, and, and I looked at him and I said, man, I really like to eat and I, and I really like to put food on my table. He said, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm asking. He said, usually I hire elderly ladies to be dispatchers. And in my mind, I thought I can outperform an elderly lady any day. So really, I'm a shoe in But he looked at me and he said, why don't you become a police officer? Now... I'll be honest, I grew up in South Boston, and, and me and the police, I love them, but, you know, I, w- I would call them when I needed them, but, but we kind of had a love-hate relationship. You, you understand what I'm saying? So when he said, why don't you become a police officer, I thought, mm, I don't know. To be honest, the only thing I saw was, was guns and, and people shooting at me and, and having to run and do uh, a calisthenic. And, and, and I was like, no. I was like, I, I really don't think that is for me. I, I really think I can out-dispatch any elderly lady out there. I, I really think I can. I, I'm perfect for this job, you know. I'm short. I'm wide. I'm to the ground. I could sit in a chair all day. This would be great. And then he told me, he said, he said, it pays like 9000 extra a year. And I said, sign me up. Sign me up. So it was literally within weeks they started training me and they sent me to uh, police academy. And I'll never forget, I went to police academy uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And they taught us all these neat things at police academy. One of the neatest things they taught us at police academy, literally, was to tase old ladies. All right, you're paying attention. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't teach us that. They didn't teach us that. I, I was just making sure y'all were still with me. Okay, they didn't teach us that. Okay, we're there. Okay. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've, I've wanted to tase an old lady before, but, but uh, so, sorry about that. One of, the, one of the neatest things they taught us at Police Academy was called the Force Continuum. How many of y'all have ever heard of the Force Continuum? Raise your hand. Yeah, it has nothing to do with Star Wars. I know it sounds like it. But the force continuum, basically, it's the level of force a police officer uses based on the level of threat that he receives. So it's the continuum or it's the scale that an officer judges and tries to figure out if I'm receiving this amount of resistance or this amount of force, then based on whatever it is that I'm receiving, I then use this amount of force to combat it. Actually, I go a step further so that I can combat whatever it is that they're hitting me with or whatever it is that they're combating me with. Now, there's different levels in the force continuum. The first level in the force continuum is officer presence. They literally say that the presence of an officer should deter certain crimes. Now, some of y'all got your driver's license in here. Am I right? Right? Woo, woo, right? Some of y'all, how many of y'all have ever been driving down the road and you pass that police car? And you see him out of the corner of your eye, and your heart starts. That's officer presence. You know what I'm talking about? Every time, right? And then, Lord forbid, you get pulled over, right? And then you do the shimmy move where you're trying to grab the seatbelt, 
where nobody's seen you. I just want to let you know we see that miles away, okay? That don't work, right? And that whole idea, if I can make him laugh, I don't get a ticket, that don't work either. So anyway, the very uniform, the very presence of the officer, they say should deter crime. Listen to me. In battle, while you're fighting against the enemy, what you wear makes a difference. Don't for one minute think that what you wear doesn't matter. Let me go even a step further. Not just what you wear, but how you wear it. You can wear the right things the wrong way. You can have the right articles, but not wear them in the right spirit. Listen to me. What you wear makes a difference in battle. I know that God sees the inside of the heart, but don't you dare think that the enemy doesn't look at the outside and trying to figure out and size you up and see whether or not you're sold out. There was a story about a Georgia state trooper who got killed in the line of duty. And they interviewed this gentleman that was on death row that killed this Georgia State Trooper. And they asked him, why in the world did you kill this gentleman? The irony of the story is he actually got pulled over twice that day. And they asked him, the first guy that pulled you over wrote you a ticket. You smiled, we seen it on the camera, and you let him get back in his car and he drove off and did his job. But the second State trooper, when he pulled you over, you pulled a gun out and you killed him. And the guy on death row said, listen, it was easy. The first guy that stepped out of the car, I could tell he meant business by how he wore his uniform. I could tell that he had every crease ironed out. He had his shoes polished. He had every detail. He had the hat cocked just right, and he came out. And I knew there was no messing with this guy. But the second guy that came out, I knew he wasn't sold out to his job. I knew he wasn't sold out to his purpose because his shirt was slightly untucked. He was wearing the right things. He was just doing it all the wrong way. Listen to me. It's important what you wear in the battle, in the fight of your life against the enemy. Modesty still matters. Can I preach that this morning at 2018 youth camp? Gender distinction is still important. Don't you think the enemy's not going to look at you and put a target on your back when you come in just looking laissez-faire? Modesty matters. It's important what you wear in battle. Officer presence. The next step is verbal commands. Verbal commands to an officer is the prequel to everything else that follows. Literally, when an officer has uh, the right to do anything else, he starts with verbal commands. Verbal commands have a way of deterring certain crimes. Just simply by an officer shouting, stop, or pull over, and you might have heard that a time or two. You automatically respond to a verbal command. Brother Enzi talked about it last night, how this generation is poised to start taking the gifts of prophecy. Listen to me. We have the power of life and death in our tongue. Listen to me. In this thing called battle, in this thing called war against the enemy, you have the ability to speak things into existence. There's power in your mouth. You have the ability, the Bible says, to bind and loose things. 
There is power in this house, in this generation's verbal command. We can speak things into existence. I'm wondering if there's a student in this place this morning that's ready to just speak things. I'm speaking revival in our youth groups. I'm speaking revival in our schools. I'm speaking families coming to the kingdom of God. You have power in your speech. Come on, you can speak it over your... Mm. Officer presence, verbal command. You have the ability to prophesy. As this generation, this world needs this generation to start stepping up and speaking clear. This world is tuned in to hear what it is that God has given you. And as God speaks to you, this world needs to hear your voice. Officer presence, verbal commands, and then it goes to lethal and non-lethal force. An officer has to decide after these two steps what it is that I do after that. Do I use lethal or do I use non-lethal in this next step? Based on the level of threat, based on whatever it is that I'm receiving, I've got to make a conscious, cognitive decision in the split second to figure it out whatever it is that I need to do next. I'll never forget, just like I told you, it was a summer, mid-hot summer in Alabama. And we got the call that went out, and I'll never forget, it was inside my little, my little Crown Victoria. I think it was like a 2007 Crown Victoria. And the call came out, and it was shots fired behind the Waffle House. We were just a couple of hours, some of y'all laughed. I don't know why it is, but everything fun happens behind the Waffle House. How many of y'all have a Waffle House in your town? Steer clear from behind the Waffle House. We got a call. And it said, shots fired behind the Waffle House. And in the mean, right in that second, I remember thinking, Brother Isaacson, man, I would have been an awesome dispatcher right now. And I thought, man, okay, shots fired behind the Waffle House. We're going to run to it. I got on the radio and I chimed in, Alpha 27 in route. I got behind the Waffle House and everybody came out in and around the Waffle House. And what had happened was, is this wonderful individual started shooting at another group of individuals. Basically what happened, it was a drug deal that had gone bad. And he started shooting into this other crowd. And he had missed, thank God. But after he shot, this mob started chasing him. And he ran into a house behind the Waffle House to barricade himself away from everybody else around him. And I pulled up on the scene. It was me probably about 20 or 30 other officers, and we got there and we surround the house, and I'll never forget, it was so vivid. I'm standing back there and I'm looking for cover. I'm trying to stand, you know, behind trees and trying to get a big enough trunk, so I'm thinking, man, I don't want to die out here. This would be really bad. The whole time, I'm thinking, man, the dispatcher position would be awesome right now, right? But as this guy was barricaded in the house, this little car pulls up behind the hill. And there's this little, little girl that comes out of the car. This little girl happens, just so happens to be the girlfriend of the guy that's barricaded in the house. 
Now, at this time, mind you, this angry crowd behind us, they're getting frustrated. They're mad. They're angry. They're becoming combative. They're throwing things. We got the tape around the house so that this crowd doesn't come in and invade the house, and they're yelling at us and so on and so forth. Now, when this girl pulls up, this little Probably 120 pounds soaking wet little girl pulls up. It angers the crowd. The crowd automatically throws their judgment from this guy that's in the house to this lady that pulls up. And so in the crowd, I don't know how they did it, but in the crowd they elected somebody. And this one person in the crowd said, hey, if we can't get him We'll just take it out on her. Now, ironically enough, you would think they would select another 120-pound soaking wet individual so the battle could be even, right? Brother Farrell, they didn't select another 120-pound person. She, Goliath, came out of the crowd that day. Every image, every camp image that you've ever thought about as a kid, flanograms, I want you to think of Goliath in your mind. Put long hair on that dude. That's who came out of that crowd that day. She, Goliath, started coming out, and I don't know why, Brother Enzi, I was the only one that I caught it out of the corner of my eye. Maybe my buddies just dismissed it, and they were focused on the more important matter. But as she, Goliath, come out of the crowd... I seen her. It was like, I, well, I felt the ground rumble, I'm going to be honest. And she come out of the crowd, and she started, Brother Smith, whooping this little 120-pound girl right there on the side of the Waffle House. And I thought, man, force continuum, what do I do now? Apparently, she feels this uniform is no threat, and this manly physique is nothing to worry about. I remember screaming. I, I, I screamed at her. I, I, I told her to stop. And she just kept wailing on this little girl. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to do something about this. So I ran over there. And I thought, okay, officer, officer presence, uh, 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 verbal command. Uh, she's, she's not paying. She's still hitting. And, and this, is, this is going on just in split seconds in my head. So I thought, okay, the next thing is I've got to use some force. So I pull out my titanium baton, and I thought, hopefully this will deter some crime. There is a nerve that runs down the side of your leg called the common peroneal. If you hit it hard enough, some of y'all have done it as kids, it's a Charlie horse. It's actually a nerve that sends a shockwave to your brain that's supposed to stop any thought process and anything that it is that your brain is doing if you hit it hard enough. They taught me this in police academy. So I pulled out my titanium baton, and I thought, here goes nothing. And I hit this lady on this. I hit she Goliath on the side of the leg. I thought this is going to deter some crime. Brother Isaacson, you would have thought that I didn't hit her in the common peroneal, but in fact, I hit her in the funny bone. Because she turned around, and I seen a smile and a laugh, and the fight was on. She looked back behind me and went, huh? And as God is my witness, I got whooped by she Goliath for about 15 minutes behind the Waffle House there in front of God, country, and an entire crowd. 
in Alabama. No, 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 no. You don't clap for that. It was so bad. I've got a scar on my elbow. They had to roll me after this woman. And they ripped my uniform. And I was scared, brother. They rushed me. I was bleeding out. I remember at the hospital, my wife can attest to this. I called my wife and said, baby, I'm going to be on the 6 o'clock news, but just know that I'm okay. (laughs) Instantly, I realized, instantly, right there behind the Waffle House, I realized that I was not ready for the fight. I realized that I brought a knife to a gunfight. I should have brought a tank to Shegoliath, if I'm being honest. But I realized real quick that I wasn't prepared for the fight. Now, the Bible tells me that I shouldn't be ignorant concerning the devil's devices. I want you to follow me on this, and I want you to remember this. The enemy's job in this, in this last day is to steal, kill, and destroy Don't you for once forget that what you did in this house this week does not put a target on your back. The enemy knows what you're doing. The enemy is... I'm so sick and tired of the enemy coming in and trying to pull our students out. I'm so sick and tired of going to camp this year and then coming back in two years and asking about different ones and different faces and hearing the reports that they're no longer here. I'm tired of the enemy coming in and trying to rip us out and sift us like wheat. Listen to me, young people. You are in a battle. Don't for once mistake that what we're doing here is just about feelings and emotions because you are in the fight of your life. The Bible says this, that Jesus has a candid conversation with Peter, and he says, Peter, I pray that your faith doesn't fail because Satan, he's after you, and he wants to sift you. Listen to me. I'm telling you the same thing this morning. Satan would like nothing more than to pull you out of the hands of God. And you've got to make up in your mind, listen to me, I'm in this to win this. I'm giving everything I've got. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and just be passive aggressive. But instead of letting the enemy bring the war to me, I'm wondering if there are students in this house that are ready to bring the fight to the enemy. I'm tired of sitting back and holding the fort, but I'm ready to raise... God is not trying to assemble just a anemiated group of students, but he's trying to put together an army for these last days. What we do in this house can shake all of hell. My Bible tells me that the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but when I connect with God, I have power and authority to pull down strongholds. Listen to me, your weapons are not bombs and guns, and I can't explain why, and I can't explain how, but when I begin to worship God, it's like all of hell begins to shake. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, there's power in praise. Look at your other neighbor and say, are you ready to start praising? I can't explain it, but the Bible tells me that when Paul and Silas were bond in prison, instead of going to other avenues to pull them out, the word literally says they went to praise. The Bible says that at 
midnight when Paul and Silas, first and foremost, I love Paul's perception of the prison. Paul is in prison, but he doesn't view it as a place of bondage. He views it as a place of revival. Listen, when you go into your public schools, I know it seems like prison with these metal lockers all around you, but that's not a place of prison. That's a place for revival. Let me speak something into existence. God's going to start filling teachers with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in homerooms. God's going to start putting families back together. What would happen if you brought worship into your homeroom? What would happen if you started praising God in the middle of a math test? What would happen instead of just praying for your meal with your head bowed, timid and afraid? What would happen if you stood to your feet and raised your hands and said, God, not just bless my food, but bless every person in this house. There's something about praise. There's something that when we begin to praise, it shakes the very strongholds. It breaks chains. It knocks down walls. The Bible tells us in Scripture very clearly that God's weapon of choice in battle, God's weapon of choice in combating the enemy has never been muscles or has never been swords and shields. But the Bible tells us over and over again, we see it as Joshua defeats the walls of Jericho. He arms them with trumpets. And instead of combating the walls in their day, the Bible says literally they marched and they worshiped. What would happen in this house if we just got the mindset that I'm tired of struggling, I'm just going to worship and I'm going to march and I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and give God all of my praise. We see it again, Brother Smith, even Gideon. The Bible says that Gideon, to defeat the Midianites, that they arm his army, not with knives and not with weapons of warfare, but literally Gideon is armed with trumpets. And the Bible says in Judges 7, 19, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of camp is literally what the verse says. They reached the edge of camp and then they started praising. Not just a pretty praise, not just a melodic melody, not just to sound good, not just a measure in a note, but they begin to praise as a weapon in warfare and it drove out the Midianites. I'm wondering if there are students in this house. We are at the edge, the precipice of ending this camp. I'm wondering if you're sitting in the house and if you're willing to stand to your feet and throw your hands up in the air and not just for a pretty sound, but if you could cry unto God with the voice of triumph. That's it. There's power in praise. There's power in worship, uninhibited, unhindered, not timid, not worried. 
there's something about praise that God, when he hears it from the altars of heaven, from the balconies of heaven, there's something that triggers all of heaven that when we praise, it tears down all kinds of strongholds. I don't know what kind of chains that you feel may be binding you this morning. I don't know what kind of walls that are around you. But I'm crazy enough to think that you could praise out of those things. We heard the awesome testimony of Brother Enzi's mom that while at Bible school, God told his mom that you can praise your way out of anything. Listen to me. Today, in this place, you don't have to wait to a night service, and you don't have to wait till HYC, and you don't have to wait till you're older or you graduate. But in this place, Praise can break a myriad of things. Praise can break depression. Praise can break oppression. Listen to me. Praise can break pornography addictions. Praise can break a multitude of things. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but if you will commit to praising God, then it'll knock down a number of things. Why is it that every time we struggle with our walk with God, one of the first things that goes out the door is our praise. I mean, we've all been there, students, where we do something wrong and that condemnation settles in and we feel like we can't. Well, if I raise my hand, they're going to know I'm a hypocrite. I, I can't. Why is it? He doesn't attack you anywhere else, but the first place he attacks you I've seen it time and time again where students go from the front row to the back row and the first thing attacked when they make a mistake and they stumble and they fall is their praise. We're not afforded the opportunity. Listen to me, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we're in the heat of the battle, you have got to commit to giving God your praise. Listen to me, if you don't remember anything at all, your praise is not predicated on your perfection, but your praise is determined and how awesome God is. If you're sick and tired of the enemy coming in, then all you have to do is start magnifying the king. When you magnify the king, you make him great in your situation. There's power in praise as they get ready to come to the music. The Bible tells us in our text that Jehoram, he's in the fight of his life. Jehoram gets elected as king over Israel. And the Bible says that he's really not the greatest of kings. He actually makes a bunch of bad decisions as king. But this one thing I know with God that even though I make a bunch of bad decisions, it just takes one right decision that'll change everything around. It's not the 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 pace that I'm going, it's the direction that I'm going. Amen. And so Jehoram he says this, he says, "You know what? I may have made some awful mistakes." I may have messed up and I may have dropped the ball and I may have fumbled it. But now when I'm in battle, seems like the enemy's coming in like a flood. Jehoram, the Bible says, makes the greatest decision of his life. The Bible literally says that in verse 7, that the Bible says that Jehoram went to Jehoshaphat, the king of 
of Judah. He could have chose any other man, any other tribe, but he's very specific on which tribe he joins. Everything around him is chaos. Everything in his life is fallen apart. He's made a million wrong decisions. He probably feels like God doesn't love him and God doesn't approve of him. But this one last decision, he says, if I'm going into battle, if I'm going into war, if the enemy's trying to pull me out, if the enemy's trying to sift me, then I got to go get Judah. I got to go get Jehoshaphat. Now we know Judah means praise. He could have chose anybody, young people, but he chose in the heat of the battle. The Bible says that he goes for his first weapon of choice. He goes to praise. In the middle of war, he didn't assemble Gad or the Reubenites, but he goes to praise. You're telling me that if I'm in a battle, I can praise my way out? You're telling me if the diagnosis is bad that I can praise? You're telling me that if my therapist is saying that I need all this medicine, I can literally praise? You better believe it. You better believe that you can praise your way out of anything. And the Bible says this in verse 14, And Elisha said unto the Lord of hosts, Liveth before whom I stand. Surely were it not. This is Elisha. When he began to praise, when, when Jehoram began to bring in Judah, it automatically brought him to the word of God. It's kind of ironic that when you begin to praise, it always leads to a word from God. Amen. The Bible says that Elisha steps on the scene, and he literally says this to Jehoram. If it wasn't for the presence of of Jehoshaphat if it wasn't for the presence of praise I would not even look toward thee but now bring me a musician bring me a musician and it came to pass the Bible says that while the musicians came while they started playing while they started singing the spirit of the Lord the hand of the Lord the mighty right powerful arm and hand of the Lord come upon them and verse 24 says this and when they came to camp when the enemy came to camp I know for a fact that the enemy might not even wait till you get home we preach that over and over at camp that when you get home the enemy's waiting for you listen to me we can do battle right here because I think the enemy's even in when the enemy came to camp, the Bible says because they called for praise and they called for worship and Judah was there, that they began to smote the Moabites and they brought them back and they whooped them not just in this place, but they even fled before them and they went forward smiting them even into their own country. Listen to me, what I'm saying here this morning is that you can praise God even right now and start defeating enemies and breaking chains and knocking down walls that it won't only just happen here, but it'll take you all the way to your house and you can keep fighting the enemy. Listen, you don't have to just hold the fort, but we can start tearing down strongholds that when we get back home,
when we get back home, when we get back home, that enemy, that enemy will be defeated. That enemy of depression will be omitted. That enemy of fear will be gone. Never bring a knife to a gunfight. Never bring a knife to a gunfight. Listen to me, the enemy's not afraid of you. He's going to bring all kinds of junk your way. But you've got to make up in your mind that I'm not just going to do pretty praise anymore. Listen to me, you don't need a band and you don't need lights and you don't need camp. What would happen if you took praise out of this and brought it into your Wednesday youth service? Hear me now. What would happen if you took this weapon? When the enemy starts coming into your youth group and people start backsliding and you don't feel... What would happen, Brother Farrell, if we had youth camp every single youth service, regardless of the song, regardless of what anybody did, we just made up in our mind, we're bringing praise to battle. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I'm not going to sit back, but I'm going to give God everything I have. We had a kid in our youth group a couple of years ago. His name is Jacob Dutton. Jacob Dutton got into a car accident off of B Highway in Donovan, Missouri. He hydroplaned. I don't know why. He was 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, and his mom bought him a Camaro. He hydroplaned on B Highway when it was raining. What mom buys their kid a Camaro? She should have bought him a minivan. (laughs) He hydroplaned on B Highway. The crazy thing is, is as he was hydroplaning, somebody was backing up out of their driveway and he crested over a hill and he met that car right there on B Highway. It literally, literally devastated his entire car. The person, thank God, in the other car was, was able to walk out, but he was unconscious. He was laying there. Paramedics got to the scene and he was unresponsive. I'll never forget, it was a Wednesday night youth service. And they called us, literally, it was just hours before church. And they called me and they called my pastor and they said, hey, Jacob just got into a car accident. We're rushing him to the hospital and it's not looking good. Actually, one of the paramedics on the scene was one of our church members' sons. And he said, listen, I'm just gonna shoot it to you straight. It's not looking good at all. I remember going to Poplar Bluff Regional Hospital. We got there. Normally, they don't let you come into the hospital room after this kind of trauma, right? Because doctors are trying to do their job. They're trying to get somebody situated and run the right tests. Literally, when they brought him in, they looked at me and my pastor and they said, hey, there's not a whole lot we can do. If you want to go in there and pray for that boy, you can. That's not a good sign, Brother Jackson. We walked in there and I saw blood coming out of every piece or hole or of his face. It was coming out of his ears, his nose. This did not look good. His eyes were rolled back and I could still hear the vivid moan in that hospital room as he cried out, gasping for breath and gasping for life. I thought, oh my goodness. As a young youth pastor, I thought, I'm gonna have to preach 
my first funeral service and I begin to pray and I begin to ask God, God, please, please don't, don't let this happen. I remember the doctors came out and they said, you know, we're really not prepared at this hospital to handle this kind of trauma. We're going to send him via ambulance to Cape Girardeau, Missouri. It's about two hours away from Poplar Bluff, about an hour and a half away. Basically, they said, listen, they've got far greater machines there and, 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 and they're going to be able to work on him there and, 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 and maybe they'll be able to do something. Basically, what that hospital was saying there in Poplar Bluff is we don't want a boy dying on our table, so we're going to pass him on to the next hospital. We went behind this ambulance all the way from Poplar Bluff Regional Medical. We went to Cape Girardeau and when we got there, the doctor came out and he met myself, my pastor, and he met uh, uh, Brother Dutton. And we sat in the family room, Jacob's dad. And Brother Dutton looked at the doctor and he said, Doc, I just want you to shoot it straight with me. What's going on with my boy? And he said, listen, sir, we've ran some tests on your son. And his brain has shifted seven centimeters over to the left. All the bleeding that you've got going on in his ears and his nose, his brain is swelling and bleeding not only that but as a part of all the tests that we're running he shattered completely shattered his spleen the doctor sat there and said it's in a million pieces and everything that's going on in his body it's he's gonna need surgery soon I sat there with a dad and a mom crying fearful but the doctor at Cape Girardeau said listen I would do the surgery myself right now, but I'm not real confident that the boy will make it. We can start cutting on his brain right now to relieve the swelling. I'm just not sure he'll make it out. So they transported him from Cape Girardeau to Children's Hospital in St. Louis. Again, these hospitals were just trying to pass him off to the next place. They didn't know what to do. They, all they could do was run tests and the tests were not looking good. Brother Dutton looked at the doctor and said, when we get to St. Louis children, what are they going to start doing to my boy? And I'll never forget, the doctor said, listen, listen, Jeff, when you get to that hospital, your son will never be the same again. The son you knew before this accident, it, he'll never be the same, sir. He said, when he gets there to that hospital, they're going to start cutting on his brain. They're going to have to start pulling out his spleen and taking out all those fragments because it'll get infected in his body. And they're going to have to start doing surgery. And the boy that you knew before this wreck will never, never be the same. It was a Wednesday night youth service. Youth pastor's gone, pastor's gone. All that's left is a group of students. These students turned around and said, hey, why don't we have worship service? Why don't, why don't we just gather in the youth room and just worship God? And let's elevate God and let's believe God for a miracle. 
I can't tell you what songs they sang. I can't tell you what notes they played. I can't tell you what went on. I, all I know is it broke way beyond. It wasn't your typical music worship set. We didn't sing one, two, three songs and we're done and clap our hands and lift our hands on the bridge. They began to do battle in worship. And I'll never forget, while worship service was going on, one of our parents came out. And he said this, I'll never forget because I got a text. As we were following the ambulance to Barnes, or, or not Barnes, to Children's in St. Louis, I got the text. Brother Curry Barton, one of our parents came in and he said, listen, if I've ever heard from God, and my wife can attest to this, he literally said this, if I've ever heard from God, this is what God told me. God told me a knife will not touch this boy's body I remember I sat back and when I got the text I thought you don't understand we just went from hospital to hospital to professional to doctor to doctor and they're telling us when we get to St. Louis they're gonna start cutting on this boy when you begin to worship it'll always lead to a word and when the word comes forth that's when God steps in. Listen to me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. The enemy can bring all kinds of junk. But if I stay in tune with God and I commit to worship and I focus all of my attention on God, we got to St. Louis Children's Hospital. When we got there, they started running tests. The doctor started coming out and they said, we don't know what's going on with this boy. We've got x-rays from Cape Girardeau and his brain was seven centimeters that way. And now it has self-corrected himself. His spleen is joining itself back together all by itself. that came out of the doctor's office with tears coming down their face saying we've never never seen anything like this before until this day till this day a knife has never touched his body since perfectly healthy perfectly fine worshiping God involved in church a part of the music program listen to me when you worship when you commit to praising not just how you sing if you want something you've never had before come on young people you're gonna have to start stepping out in places you've never been before I don't know what the enemy's throwing at you but you can worship your way out. You can worship your way out of pornography. You can worship your way out of depression. You can worship your way out of... This is how I do my battle. I'm running all over this place with every hand lifted up. Can we just love our God right now?